If you're able to stand, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing the word. Old Testament reading, Joshua 6, 5. And when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall, will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. New Testament reading, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near to the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinance, that he may create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in, in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful to you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Lord, we need your word, and we need you to speak to us, and we need your help to grasp your word. It is eternal. And we, Lord, live in these days and these times, and we're grateful that your eternal word and unchanging word strengthens us and helps us in times that are changing. So may you be glorified as your word is, is spoken and as it is heard. Lord, may the meditation of our, our hearts and, Lord, the acquiescence of our lips be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the last Sunday in this series, and I hope you've been uh, taking a look at that devotional on the shoulders of giants. And this is the last Sunday in, in this short series during February and Black History Month. And as we're approaching this text, I want to talk to about what the text says here in Ephesians 2 about the dividing wall of hostility. So that's, that's the, the topic this morning of the sermon. But a number of years ago, about 40 years ago, 
I was visiting a church. I was a young Christian, had been a Christian maybe two weeks. If you've ever been in our Discover Grace class, I tell this story sometimes. Uh, but while I was at this church, they were having a revival. And during the welcome, the pastor got up and said, we don't believe in a black man coming to a white man's church, but you're welcome to stay. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, was, that was in Columbia, South Carolina in, in 1980. Yeah. But that pastor, with his words, he, he had erected a wall that was intended to keep people like me from entering. And as I said, that was 40 years ago, and I'm thankful that I can say that more and more of these types of walls are coming down. You see, wherever the gospel is understood, these walls continue to fall. And so the sermon today is about the dividing wall of hostility and how to apply the gospel to the walls that divide. Because there are some in America who, who are still feeling the dividing wall of hostility. Now, whether you agree with that or not, or whether you think it's real or not, that's, that's what they perceive, they perceive, that, and it's perceived by many. And they believe, too, that the church, the pillar and ground of truth, ought to know how to address these walls. George Barna, in a recent research, shows that American Gen Zers, uh, for them, that racial injustice is a shared, is, is a shared top concern among teens, it's 32%, and young adults, 35%. And when looking at the data segmented by, by race, black, Hispanic, and Asian Gen Zers all identify racial injustice as their top concern. And, here's, and, to, and in response to, to this statement, my religious faith is important to how I understand injustice in society, 48% of black Gen Zers, 42% of Hispanic Gen Zers, 35% of Asian Gen Zers, and 50% of white Gen Zers agree with it strongly. So that tells us, that tells us a lot about, about where they believe their help comes from. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ if it's living out its commission, it will know how the gospel is applied since the dividing wall of hostility has been removed. As in the story of Joshua and Jericho, what we see, God is able to remove walls so that his children can, as the text says, they, that show, shall go up everyone straight before him. See, since the dividing wall of hostility is abolished, applying this gospel truth requires us to remember what was, receive what is, and to reach for peace. Remember what was, receive what is, and to reach for peace. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Remember what was. Look at verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul's readers were to remember that they were separated. They were alienated. They were strangers. They were hopeless. They were, in Paul's words, atheists. That's that word there that, that says they were without God. They were atheists. They were without God. They were atheists. And so, so having, this, having this, this, this position, can you think of any, any position that is more pitiable? They were outsiders with no connection to the goodness of God. No promise of blessing without the Messiah himself. They were to remember that they had no help, no hope in this life. This was their situation. And it's also, it's also a lot of folks in the world's condition today. Without, without hope, without help, they're outside of the blessing of God. And here are the people of God in the text, the people of God, the Israelites, they had all these things. They had all these things. But that only worsened the tension between Jews and Gentiles. Because the Jews saw that the promises that they had been given, that that, that meant that they were, the Gentiles were not their equals. They were not, their, they were not the same. And Paul would say this about the, about the, the nature of, of the Jew-Gentile relationship and, how, and how, they, how they handled that law. He would say this in Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, where he says, to, and he's talking to the Jews at this point. He's already addressed the Gentiles. Now he's talking to the Jews. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. See, the Gentiles didn't have the covenants they, or the covenant-keeping God who had sent his son, the Christ, the Messiah, and the Jews weren't going to help them find out. See, this is the definition of what it means to be lost. I mean, you read this, this is the def definition of what it means to be lost, to be disconnected from reality. So they were truly outsiders, and that's what they were to remember. So how do you respond to being an outsider? Have you ever felt like, I don't belong here. I'm not, I'm not welcomed here. Perhaps it was a group at school. Perhaps it's a club they won't let you into. And you look, you look for a group, too, where you can fit in. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Living the Message, he has this little article called No Outsiders. He writes this. He says, most of us, most of the time, feel left out, misfits. We don't belong. Others seem to be so confident, so sure of themselves, insiders who know the ropes, old hands in a club from which we are excluded. One of the ways we have of responding to this is to form our own club or, or join one that will help, that will have us. Here is at least one place where we are in and the others out. The clubs range from informal to formal in gatherings that are variously political, social, cultural, and economic, but the one thing they have in common is the principle of exclusion. 
identity or, or worth is achieved by excluding all but the chosen. The terrible price we pay for keeping all those other people out so that we can savor the sweetness of being in insiders is a reduction of reality, a shrinkage of life. See, nowhere is the price more terrible than when it is paid in the cause of religion. But religion has a long history of doing just that, of reducing the huge mysteries of God to the respectability of club rules, of shrinking the vast human community to a membership. But with God, there are no outsiders. Yes, indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, which brings us to this great turn of events wherein now we can, you know, remember, remember what was, now receive what is. Look at verses 13 and 16. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what a beautiful reversal of our state. But now, in Christ. See, those words connect the dramatic emptiness of what they were to the glorious fullness of who they are now. But now, they are in Christ Jesus. See, they have the Messiah who saves his people. Don't you love the way Paul said that? They are in Christ Jesus. They have the Messiah. He's the Messiah who saves his people from their sins. They're no longer alienated, but are now brought into the fellowship. They're brought near. That's a, that's a word of, of intimacy. Receive what is. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Are you in Christ? See, don't let your heart be troubled, but take in all that Christ's death has brought to you. Now see, so there are, are a lot of things that, to use, the, to use Joshua's words, what the Lord commanded Joshua, there are a lot of things that come straight up to you when Jesus removed the dividing wall of hostility. See, that dividing wall was the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. They, they, were, they were separated by a wall, and that wall blocked the Gentiles and, and literally had death threats in, that were attached to it. They were called Thanatos inscriptions. And yes, you know, I've used this illustration before. So yeah, Thanatos, Thanos, if, you, if you're following those Marvel movies, Thanos, yes, the death. That's who, he, you know, he kills half, the, half, of the, half of the world, half of the existence of, 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 of all the living. You know, so Thanatos, they have this, these death inscriptions. And one read this, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So if we kill you, you brought it on yourself. You see, and the liter that literal wall was emblematic of the law and the commandments that were prohibitive since it was abused 
by the Jews and used to keep the Gentiles out. Here's, here's what they taught. In second century BC, Jewish author Aristides said this, now our lawgiver, being a wise man, fenced us round with impregnable ramparts and walls of iron that we might not mingle at all with any of the other nations, but remain pure in body and soul. Therefore, lest we should be corrupted by any abomination or our lives be perverted by evil communications, he hedged us round on all sides by rules of purity, affecting alike what we eat or drink or touch or hear or see. That's, that's what they taught. Now you can understand Peter in, in Acts chapter 10, or even our brother who was there in Columbia, South Carolina, who didn't believe that black and white should be in the same church. You see, that's the law. That was the law. The law was a, a dividing wall of hostility. The physical wall became emblematic of the wall of the law and the ceremonies. Jesus removed it in his flesh, the text tells us. How? By his death. By his death, Jesus, crossing the barrier of the temple and taking on death in his flesh, abolished the dividing wall of hostility. He fulfilled the law and its ordinances so that, the, so that it is, it's gone. It, yeah, that, that all of that legality that you and I couldn't fulfill, Jesus fulfilled it for us. Hallelujah. And since he is the Savior, he represents everyone who believes he represents everyone who believes. He took in his flesh the curse of the law since he was hanged on a tree. This is what Galatians 3.13 tells us. The scripture says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Christ kills the hostility and breaks down the dividing wall and now all these things are true. All of these things can come straight up to you. That the things that are commanded go straight up before us. Like the armies of Israel coming into Jericho to transform it. Consider what you now have in Christ. Nearness to God. Peace with God. Peace with other people. Unity. His death, the text says, has made both one. Racial barriers removed. There is true equality in Christ. Creation, the creation of one new humanity in the place of two. Reconciliation, vertical and horizontal. The death of hostility. Hallelujah. See, Jesus, having removed the dividing wall of hostility, has accomplished for us, for all, for all, he has accomplished all of this for us. So that right now, we have peace with God. Right now, we are as close to God as we will ever be. We can't get any closer than what Jesus has brought us. I know people pray, Lord, help me to be closer to you. What you need to realize and believe is that Jesus has brought you as close as you can get. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's brought us. Right now, the dividing wall of hostility is gone. And, you know, walls, walls are meant to keep some folks out while protecting other folks who are on the inside. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's, why, that's, that's the purpose of a wall. So, so, but if Jesus removes the wall, he must mean that the two groups ought to meet. The two groups ought to be together. See, if Jesus has broken down this wall of the law of commandments, too, this is something else to think about. If he's broken down this wall of the law of commandments and ordinances that were against us, that kept us from entering the presence of God, don't you think that he will take care of any lesser wall that appears to be a barrier. Walls of family strife, walls of, of economic power, walls of, of oppression. See, wherever people are divided by hostile walls that they erect, Christ's body and blood, his death is powerful enough to abolish it. And now, that means we should reach for peace. Look at verse 17 and 18. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So there's, there's a lot that could be said, but we're going to have communion later. So, you know, the reason... The reason the church doesn't have the impact it should in the West is because too many of us think the world, we think like the world when it comes to multi-ethnic relationships. And I would say to you that, uh, that the way that uh, we respond in the West is not the way that the church responded in the first century. You know, it, 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 our, their response overcame the centuries of Roman rule. If the way that we're responding is it doesn't, does it, will it, yeah, does it have that effect? Will it have that effect? Well, so, so, yeah, we are, we're too, we, we think too much like the world. And part of the problem is that you have 24-7 news coverage. <laughs> you have social media. You have, you have, yeah. Yeah, so, so the other part of, of what takes place with Gen Zers and, and, and millennials is that a lot of them get their news from TikTok. <laughs> so the ideas, the idea, there are ideas, too many ideas are, are too rooted in political, conservative, or liberal, right or left perspectives. Don't shut me out yet. Because on the conservative side, there's a quick defense of the republic to say that America is not racist. And you can work hard and make your own progress. On the liberal side, you know, there's a quickness to say that America is racist. And trust the government to give you opportunity to make progress. But neither has the power to give peace to multiple ethnicities living together. Because both sides are interested in how the different groups will help their party stay in power. So you say, how do you know that that's the case? Well, let's just look at, let's look historically, you know, because, because you, know, you know, for me, like I said, I've lived for 60 some years and I've seen some things repeat. 
Uh, and and uh, David Chapel, I read this book a, f a few years ago. David Chapel in his book, A Stone of Hope, he gives this. He gives. He gives this. So he he talks about how the Republican Party and the and the Democratic Party that neither one of them were really interested in in solving the issue of Jim Crow or 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 uh, the civil rights, but only how it impacted their party. And so he he writes and he puts this confession in by Harold Ikes. Harold Ikes was the Secretary of Interior under under FDR, and he was there for a long time. So so. Harold Ikes is, is, is getting this letter from, he's getting this, this, this accusation from Joseph Bailey who had accused him of trying to break down the segregation laws. And Ikes wrote to Bailey this, that opposition to segregation had never been my position as a matter of fact. I think it is up to the states to work out their own social problems if possible. And while I have always been interested in seeing that the Negro has a square deal, I have never dissipated my strength against the particular stone wall of segregation. The stone wall of segregation would crumble when the Negro has brought himself to a higher educational and economic status. After all, we can't force people on each other who do not like each other, even when no question of color is involved. Do you hear his confession? We don't have the strength. We can't provide the peace. And I've never dissipated my strength. I've not given my energy to this. That's what he's saying. That's not what he's given his energy to. So, so, so political positions on the left or the right are not able to provide peace for multi-ethnic relationships. The gospel of Jesus Christ does. See, it is neither right nor left. The gospel presents something completely different than reliance on yourself or reliance on the government to solve our ethnic troubles. The gospel calls us to be family. It calls us the household of God. It calls us to be a habitation for the dwelling of God by his spirit. That's what this, all of that is in Ephesians chapter 2 here. This is what the gospel calls us to. So political partisans, they only add more walls. The church in the West will have power to impact racism only when we climb over or knock down the political walls of hostility. And since Christ has preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near, there we have the power. And the, to the degree that the church rests in the relationship of being one new man, it's directly related to our understanding of, that, of, of the Trinity's work on behalf of diverse ethnic members of the one body of Christ. Because listen to the text. Listen to what Ephesians 2.18 says. For through him, the Son, we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. There we have the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are at work in, in, in bringing about and making this peace a reality. So our peace is an example of the Trinity at work in our salvation in making us one new man. The Son, Jesus Christ, has brought us all together. Hallelujah. And see, unlike Harold Ike's who never dissipated his strength against the particular stone wall of segregation, Jesus Christ gave himself completely 
body and blood to abolish the dividing wall of hostility. See, that's what we see here in the Lord's Supper. Christ being present with us is offering himself as the means and the end of our peace. And that Greek word for peace, is, is this, it's, it carries the same weight as the Hebrew word shalom. And listen to the description of, of peace in Isaiah 32, 16 through 18, where he describes his peace, where the Lord describes his peace. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Yes, see, reach for peace. Jesus Christ, in the sacrament of the communion, through his body and blood, showed us how to reach for the peace by faith in his finished work on our behalf. It was day 20 in the, in the reading about Cecil B. Moore. I don't know how he got the strength to keep up his protest against Girard College so that the wall that, that kept young black men out. Uh, did you read the story? You know, I looked it up on the internet because I'd never heard of Cecil B. Moore and because I really don't know anything about Philadelphia. I grew up in Nebraska. Ask me about Omaha, I can tell you. But, but, but you know, here this school had this 10-foot wall, and here this man, and he had, he had protested it. You know, but before, that, before him, there were a lot of other people, too, who were, who were protesting the, the segregation of the school since the law had been passed to, to change that. So I don't, but I don't know how Cecil Moore got the strength to keep up his protest for as long as he did. You know, until, until, until eventually the walls of that school fell after years of protesting and, and court battles. The church, you and I, have kept up a protest against the disunity that exists in humanity because Jesus has removed the wall and it is our unity that is a protest against the, the, the segregation that exists in our churches, in our nations, the tribalism that exists. You know, our, our unity is a protest against that. And how do, where do we find? So he kept up that protest for seven months or so. How, how, how did he find the strength? You know, well, anger can give you strength for a lot of things, but <laughs> you can be angry for a long time. But the church, the church of Jesus Christ, by peace, the church here is pursuing the result of peace, the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Our strength and the strength that Gen Zers are looking for to see that dividing wall of, of hostility of racial injustice fall is the strength that comes from the communion, from, from the body and blood of Jesus, who himself is our peace. Brothers and sisters, come to the table.